<laughs> What's up, you sexy savages? This is Tony Flu Real for Hangry and Horny. And today I am at the F Bomb Factory. They're, they're sponsors of Hangry and Horny with the F Bomb Nut Butters. I actually was just bonking a little bit earlier. I've been fasting throughout the day and then hit this low energy mark. And uh, all I needed to do is just pop in a nice packet of macadamia uh, with sea salt nut butter um, by F-Bomb. And all of a sudden, the fat is making me smart again. It's giving me some amazing energy. So, yeah, big shout out to my sponsors, Ross and Kara. I'm actually sitting in one of the offices at the factory at their corporate office in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was on a whirlwind uh, tour this week. I was actually in Denver to interview my next guest for this podcast, which I'll announce soon. Um, and basically, you know, it was a less than 24-hour trip in Denver, at high altitude, and then headed up back to San Francisco, California. Uh, a couple of days later, I drove out to Flagstaff from California, now I'm here at the office of my sponsors for Hangry and Horny. So just uh, been fun. I have been interviewing, um, you know, a few people that I met through Ross and Kara, the uh, founders, originators of F-Bomb. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, sharing those uh, interviews with you uh, soon and including interviewing Ross and Karen, basically sharing their story on how they came up with uh, F-Bomb Nut Butters being a ketogenic uh, proponent. It's helped them with, you know, their health. And uh, it was just born out of a need to have quick fuel uh, for for their body that was actually like clean, healthy fat fuel um, easy to digest and easy to eat on the go. So that just turned into amazing business. And uh, two years later, they scaled with um, some awesome investors. And uh, now they have an incredible factory, which is pumping out these amazing nut butters. So check them out. Um, you know, use the code word on their website, drop them at bomb.com. The code word is flow real F L O W R E A L. And that gives you a 20% off discount off your first order. So check out uh, fatbomb.com or drop an F bomb.com and, uh, Get 20% off your first order with the promo code FLOWREAL. So what else, what else is next here? Well, I got the Magic Flow Bus, which is a uh, activity 12-hour plus day um, of flow activities in which we show people different methods, techniques, and technologies to enter the uh, optimal state of consciousness known as flow state. And, uh, you know, it's just one of my favorite places to be in state of mind in both health and wellness and, uh, you know, high performance and optimal physiology. So, um, check out magicflowbus.com. Our next event will be held in San Francisco on May 5th, 2018. 
and uh, that's Cinco de Mayo on a Saturday. And we're going to have uh, an amazing neuroscientist be our special guest. Her name is Dr. Allison Maddock. Um, she is a uh, postdoctorate neuroscientist now doing research at Stanford University. And so she'll be our special guest on basically um, showing us the research which includes things like meditation on how to like optimize your consciousness through meditation and um, other research methods that they've found um, through the studies, through her studies. So uh, look at magicflowbus.com and I uh, would love to see you there participating with other flow-minded like peeps and um you know it's fine we also incorporate things like the Wim Hof breathing method uh ice baths and uh you know yoga and also like a lot of biohacking technologies to sort of induce this state of flow so that um you get this this kind of familiar feeling that probably you haven't felt since you were a child so that's magicflowbus.com and without further ado, I want to introduce you to my next guest, Scott Carney, who's an investigative journalist and anthropologist, uh, author of a few awesome books. Uh, one is called The Red Market, which details the organ trafficking trade um, during his time when he was there for six years in India. Um, another awesome book is The Enlightenment Trap, which is sort of the spiritual trappings that occur with people that are seeking enlightenment and, um, you know, often fall, fall through, um, following like false gurus or cults and or cults. And, you know, some of the, um, psychological, uh, sort of problems that happens when one does follow a uh, false guru or a cult and uh you know in this episode uh, with scott carney we go into uh his latest book which uh is, is titled what doesn't kill us and then he's working on a follow-up to that book which is called the wedge and essentially he's detailing the sort of um amazing processes that occur with us human beings in uh adaptation to sort of stimuli and one of that one of those um sort of amazing processes is what happens when we are faced with um stimuli that's uh intense so to speak so for example um he heard about this uh man called Wim Hof the ice man who's been able to say set Guinness book world records and his exposure to to ice and cold and when claims that he has uh, control uh, over his autonomic nervous system which according to science is uh, a medical impossibility but Scott being an investigative journalist and skeptic actually uh, went with Wim and learned the methods that it takes to sort of reawaken these primal um uh, uh, processes that occur in the human body and which has been lost to uh, modernization and during that process of hanging out with Wim Hof the Iceman Scott Carney 
had discovered how to increase uh, his inner fire, so to speak, and uh, be able to withstand uh, the extreme cold temperatures in which he hiked up to the peak of Mount Kilimanjaro with Wim Hof and also, um, you know, sort of learned like how to, uh, how to con- uh, influence his, his physiology so that he can main control of his psychology, which we have been talking about with the uh, prior episodes on Hangry and Horny. So that's uh, super excited, exciting. Um, Scott, in his book, What Doesn't Kill Us, had also featured uh, legendary surfer uh, Laird Hamilton and many, many more of other human beings that seem to have amazing control of their bodies and mind and spirit. And um, this is something that uh, all of us can learn how to do. And so without further ado, in this long, long introduction, uh, really appreciate you listening. Enjoy this next episode with Scott Carney. All right, here we What's go. What's up, man? How's it going, Scott Carney? Good. Thanks for coming to my house. Yes. The first interview I've ever done in my house. Now in their house. Filmed. So this is my this is my shade right here. Uh, my cat's gonna come and say hello in a minute. His yeah, Lambert. Lambert. Just be really nice to him. Yeah, he's, he's cool, chubby little cat. <laughs> Looks like Toons is a little bit. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, we're in Denver, Colorado. We are. Yes. So how did you end up here? Uh, I lived in LA for a, a, a spell, and uh, there was a, a fellowship opportunity for my wife up in Boulder. And and uh, we weren't married at that time, so I just chased her here, uh, and yes. uh, and it was at the Center for Environmental Journalism. I, I was writing a book at that time called "What Doesn't Kill Us," uh, and yeah, it was, and, and we've been here ever since. We can't afford to go back to LA. That's really that's really what the problem is. Right, right. So yeah. she had a fellowship at uh, Colorado University Boulder, uh, CU Boulder. Yeah, okay, so got it. I don't know why it, it's called CU, but it's University of Colorado. Boulder. Yeah, <laughs> so they just they messed up the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they reversed the order there, yeah. right? So you guys were you married at the time when you came out, or you no, chased her out? I chased her out. Yeah. I basically just kept on asking her until she said yes. That's awesome, totally man. Works. Persistent works. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. sometimes you gotta be. <laughs> you so wore, wore her down, and then a year or two later, I got the same fellowship that she had, uh, and you know we've been sort of here ever since. And what's the fellowship in? It was for environmental journalism. Okay. So I'm an investigative journalist. Uh, I write for Playboy, for Wired, for Mother Jones, for a lot of different sort of big magazines and then books. And this fellowship was ostensibly about, you know, what is, you know, how does what is climate change? How is it working? You know, and, and I got to audit classes at any subject that I wanted to for a year. And, you know, at the end of it, just being be enriched there's no like you don't have to do anything you just have to be enriched so i was taking like creative writing classes i was taking courses on immunology on uh astronomy that was awesome like like black holes yeah yes Uh, i just basically took the things that i i wanted to take maybe not the most environmentally (laughs) (laughs) okay so not so much the environmental stuff (laughs) just the stuff that interested me so it was like all the stuff that i that i wanted wanted to do 
in college and just never did. Uh, and yeah, it was a, it's like the best free year anyone could ever have. Uh, I feel like everyone should get this opportunity, but it's probably not available for everyone. Okay. So is it reserved for like professionals or people that have like a certain, uh, what earned a status in some way? Yeah. Like mid career journalists. Okay. Got it. Sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, it's a great, it's a great opportunity And, and it really let me sort of also focus on, getting this book out there into the hands of, of everyone because I just finished writing What Doesn't Kill Us. And yep. so it was sort of in that time period that I was doing that fellowship. So what uh, contribution did all that learning at the fellowship have on you or the book? Yeah, so, so What Doesn't Kill Us is, is about the Wim Hof method, uh, this crazy Dutch fitness guru, uh, how he uses breathing and sort of ice protocols to change and fundamentally like hack his body to do different things, right? To become accustomed to stressful situations, to become, to thrive in ice water. And, uh, and then like he literally like consciously intervenes in his, in his immune system. So those are some pretty big topics, you know, that come out of just ice water and breathing meditation. So part of the journey, the fellowship, I was like, just basically studying the immune system. What do we know about the immune system? How does it work? Um, you know, and, you know, when you dig down to that, to, 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 you know, all of the various types of cells and how they interact with each other, like you can look at it as like just straight chemical reactions. There's no, this is just a part A clicking into part B, mm-hmm. or you can take my weirdo look at it as like, oh, the immune system is sort of conscious. Like it's making decisions. You look at like a macrophage, which is like a macrophage looks the same as an amoeba. Uh, and it wanders around your body hunting bacteria and things that it doesn't want. And it sort of sniffs. It's like, hmm, what are you? You're a Tony. Like, you shouldn't be in there, Tony. And then it eats you, right? <laughs> and then it goes around and says, oh, you're, you know, a, 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 you know, a Scott cell. Okay, you're fine. And, in and, some ways, it's an organism in an organism. Yeah. Okay. It's a super organism. Right? Yeah. And, that, and that's the way I look at the, the immune system to some degree. Like, it's a, cre- it's a it, you know, when you say consciousness, it's very loaded it sort of thinks that it's like thinking about its grocery bill and its 401k and like you know bigger questions like but i i see consciousness sort of more like decision making in general like you know uh value judgments that's to some very minor degree like i'm not saying it's like a human right right Uh, right but there's some sort of intelligence that's mm -hmm. autonomous but like Mm -hmm. someone like wim hoff can supposedly yeah control that yeah like if you think about like one of these cells from its perspective right it's wandering around your body and it's sniffing things right and there's all these hormones going through your bloodstream and its environment is what it knows so you know, cortisol releases and it, and it senses that the, its environment is literally bathing in cortisol. So it, it understands the language of cortisol. Well, meanwhile, when you're jumping into the ice, your cortisol levels ramp up. So there's like, you know, it doesn't know what ice is probably, right? How could it ever know that? Right. But it does know, oh God, now it's a signal of cold. Right. Now right. I'm bathing in cortisol and all of the other million hormones and chemical markers that are there. So you have two environments interacting at once. Mm-hmm. So by Wim consciously changing um, the way he, he interacts with ice, 
changes the, the way that the inter, inner biology interacts with its own environment. And so you're actually changing two sets of protocols. Because we were jumping like kind of straight right into we're the go, wedge. We're, we're yeah, we were just in, going man. right in, man. Like there's like the sort of uh, autonomous nervous system mm-hmm. where everything's controlled, you know, on its own without right. like conscious will. And then mm-hmm. you have like the somatic part, which is like you can like focus on your breathing and work on that. But then there's the in-between world where, you know, you don't need to think about breathing, but you can, right. you know? Yeah. And so there's like, where is that like sort of influence in the middle? And, you know, that's where yeah. Rim is on the cups of as like a pioneer and these other people that you've been trying to debunk. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So I started out as like this, this journalist. Who, I wrote a book called uh, um, The Enlightenment Trap, which is about how the pursuit of spiritual perfection and enlightenment and, you know, all of these things that are really good, right? Bliss and whatever else. How that, if you really go down that path, you can end up being insane, right? You can end up being like, I have found enlightenment. And if you think you're enlightened or you think you found Jesus or Allah and you're talking to him and he's giving you signals, you're freaking insane. And there's a problem there. Yeah, or you could die. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I'm following cases of people who actually died on these spiritual um, paths for for that book. And so Uh, I was almost. Yeah, right. Yeah, you had this story about you being on mushrooms, finding perfect things, and jump out a window. Yeah, exactly. I thought I could fly, and I'm luckily I'm still here. Yeah, but yeah, because I was on that path of enlightenment, I was Mm -hmm. seeking, you know, Mm -hmm. that that ultimate consciousness you know mm-hmm. that people were talking about and thinking like happiness mm-hmm. and uh yeah just got high off my own supply it wasn't even just mushrooms but it was just the act of meditation like constantly right. and like mm-hmm. um isolating myself from the world mm-hmm. you know and, and then you know in some ways i became sensitive and mm-hmm. intuitive and uh, there's mm-hmm. some sort of upsides that come from these practices yeah. but there are certainly some downsides mm-hmm. if you're not learning how to integrate with being in the body, being in the world, you know, right. versus like escaping, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people go into these things, like seeking these ha- answers of right. like their life and like why we're here and mm-hmm. like what's the like deeper reasons of like all this existence. And yeah. then somehow you get trapped in like getting high off your own supply and then the dogmas that come from a teacher or a guru. Totally. And like you start thinking that, that this external message that's coming to you is figured out. Like the Buddha, for instance, knew what was up. And if you could just be the Buddha, you would be perfect, right? And if people get this idea in their mind, and, you know, or be Jesus, right? It doesn't really matter the, the, the path you go on. Uh, but the thing is, if those people were real people, which they, pro- they probably were real people, right? Then they were probably just as fucked up as you and me to some degree. I mean, they, they, I'm sure they had some, you know, they had these great insights. But, you know, there's one of my favorite stories about the Buddha, Right, it's this, it's this guy named Migalandika, and and it and the Buddha had attained enlightenment and was getting a group of people who really dug his work, and he was like, "All right, cool. They they really understand what I'm doing, and I want to teach them the method to get to enlightenment. And the method to get to enlightenment is uh, to totally accept death and decay and the inevitability of that thing, which is still a very central Buddhist message. His method, though, was to examine." Uh, 
rotting corpses on what they called charnel grounds. So you would go into a, a graveyard, and these would be the corpses of prostitutes and um, paupers, and they were just literally left out above ground to decompose. So he was like, you go into this this place, you sit and you watch those corpses decompose and think about your corpse, also the inevitability. And this mm. is the way you will get to enlightenment because you realize that it's all sort of the same. And so the Buddha taught this, this thing to his monastery. Uh, I, think this, I think his monastery was in Bihar or Nepal at that point. And, and then he's like, all right, peace out. I'm going to go to a cave and meditate for a while because this is what he did. He, he cut off all um, access to the world and meditated for his own spiritual practice. <laughs> Okay, so then flashback over to the, the monks, and, and they're all sitting in these charnel grounds, and the story says that they start getting um, really uh, depressed and suicidal, and, 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 and they, they see their own death coming, and, and, and then they realize that, that what they need to do is, is take their own lives. Uh, right, then, right, right then and there. And so they start committing suicide. Wow. And, and then... All of the, the, the monks in a monastery commit, uh, start committing suicide. Some of those that don't want to um, or can't do it for, their, for, you know, for whatever reason, right? Um, they essentially hire one of the monks named Migalandika to go and assassinate them or cut their throats. And so Migalandika then goes and murders all, all the monks. And it's sort of willing, right? It's not like straight up murder. It's like, you know, you killed me so that I can go get to the next level. Right. Buddha comes back you know, mm. a little later. And there's there's only like four monks left in his monastery. And he's like, whoa, guys, this is not what I wanted at all. And then the Buddha's like, all right, um, I'm going to uh, excommunicate Megalandika and some other people and be like, all right, so now from now on, the new method is uh, you're going to study, uh, uh, you're going to focus on your breath instead. This is the new thing. Forget corpses, focus oh, on your breath. Goodness. And this is how you get sort of the the, intro, the the very first breathing meditation sort of come out okay. of this through Buddhism. Um, you can look this up. Like if you don't yeah, believe yeah, me. Yeah, I was going to say, man, like this is, you never hear yeah. this part of the story no, no. Buddha. Look, <laughs> it's in the Pali Canon. So which is, then the Pali Canon is ba- is one of the oldest um, recorded Buddhist teachings that were written on palm leaves that were then preserved in Sri Lanka. Um, some of the earliest writings, and uh, they are uh, they are the ones that, that monks will will read at sort of the more advanced level. Um, but you can totally find it, Migalandika, M I G A L A N D I K A. You will find his story out there. Yeah, and Google that, <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> and like, so they like share this information like after you're already like. In, yeah, yeah, in like. (laughs) But what it shows is that even the Buddha, you know, this enlightened guy who was already enlightened at that point, they 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 said, can still have pedagogical problems, right? right? He can still be like, oh. I messed up, right? I am not a perfect person. Mm-hmm. And then maybe not every sort of crazy spiritual practice that works for some people. Cause I'm, right. you know, I'm sure that meditation is very powerful. It can work yeah, for some people. Yeah, I've heard people like go to cemeteries and like lie mm-hmm. there. Some people get like buried like up to their neck sure. or, or like they actually get buried and there's like a straw coming out so they can breathe. So okay, so that's like all an- fucked up. But, but-, <laughs> <laughs> no, but these are the things that people are actually doing out there yes. like to modern day. Right. And there's a whole tradition in Tibetan Buddhism called Chud, C-H-O with an umlaut D, is how we spell it in, um, in English, uh, Chud, 
how it's pronounced, uh, which is corpse meditation, which is, you know, you find a baby bird and you, you look at the baby bird until it decomposes. Like, this is something that is still taught in the modern traditions. It's not to say that that practice in and of itself is the worst practice in the world. I don't recommend it, but for some people, maybe they get an insight out of it. But the right. thing is, not every technique works for every person. Right. Uh, and, and we got this crazy story that's like 2,800 years old that says, and it can go not just bad, but really fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many cases in history mm-hmm. with even like uh, religious wars and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing where people yeah. are like slaughtering. Or like ISIS right now. Like yeah. these guys think that, 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 um, you know, if they do this act, they will, they will go to heaven, right? I mean, and, and so they know the ultimate reality, and the ultimate reality is w- whatever their conception is, 40 virgins, or I'm sure it's more complex than that, right? Right. Um, uh, but when, you're, when you only believe in that ultimate reality, then you forget about the reality that you're in, which is where we are, where we're talking, yeah. uh, then, then you're not beholden to this reality. So you can do something like blow yourself up in a suicide thing and kill a bunch of people, which you're probably not actually down with. Like if you actually knew that the, the terror that you created, the, 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 the rifts in those families, if you were actually part of those relationships, you probably would not be into that. You're probably not that sort of psychopath, but you, instead what you're taught or what these people intuit or learn is that the that that what happens here is not real in some sense, and the real real is this other enlightenment heaven whatever thing. And every religion has this problem. It's not right, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's even like something I'm very passionate about with flow. I'm like mm-hmm. deep into it, but there are some downsides that come mm-hmm. with that state where you, you can be kind of manic, mm-hmm. and then like on the backside of it, you have this massive crash, like you're hungover, like mm-hmm. like from anything, oh, whether totally. it's like alcohol or mm-hmm. or uh, psychedelics. You, you need like a recovery period, so it's easy to sort of mm-hmm. beat yourself up, you know, during that right. period where like your monkey mind now like on hyperdrive. Oh, totally. And uh, you know, or like for example, like people in this world and they find it is something that's like you go to school which mm. almost feels unnaturally you have to sit in chairs and then people are telling oh, yeah. you what to do so like from a young age you either buy into it or you question it mm-hmm. and a lot of people are questioner like rebels and they meet other rebels and like they mm-hmm. they start partying and doing these mm-hmm. other things because like here like i have a crew i feel good yeah and then you know ends up pretty bad and it's the same thing with some of these religions or even benign meditation practices right. that you have these sort of enlightened type of mm-hmm. uh, uh, satori moments yeah and then and then you think you know the answer to these mm-hmm. things and then you all you want to do is those things you just get addicted right. to your own high when you said that you have this sort of come down after flow what, what do you mean by that? what what sort of examples can you give where that happens yeah the most closest uh would be similar to like you know partying all night you know drinking feeling superhuman so your inhibition's gone your monkey mind shuts off you can for me i was like liquid courage talk to girls I'm funny. I feel like oh, me fully, okay. right? The next day, it's like, you know, you're barfing your brains out. Yeah, but you're, that's not really sick. flow as much as it is intoxication. Like, well, what about like, you know, one of the things you do is like throw kettlebells, for instance, right? Right. Can you, is there a hangover from that sort of event? It, yes, exactly. So that's kind of what I was leading to. Okay. Is that like there's a drop off in like performance and mm-hmm. a sense of uh, well-being like after you come out of this like really high state mm-hmm. of flow. So like 
whether it was a high state of like partying all night or a high state of like ultimate macro flow yeah you come out of it and the next day you just like can't get up in the morning mm. um you just feel like exhausted uh, mm. tired your your critical mind's like thinking like man i just want to go back to that state but yeah. now now i'm like back into reality in this world which when you're in flow you are in this world but you're seeing more than you are normally yeah. in a normal waking consciousness so when you're in flow you you literally feel like you're a superhuman or a super being or a like yeah. a superhero because mm -hmm. you're you're doing things that you're like, you've been surprising yourself. Like, how am I doing this? How am I like witnessing all this? Yeah. And then you come out of it. So it's like the movie, The Limitless, where yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, like. It actually wasn't a very good movie, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think they like tried to like get mm -hmm. to that place where you do have this sort of like manic super yeah. consciousness and then the next day it's like the the it's been so i find this really interesting because this is obviously the sort of things that i'm looking at in my book but the way you're explaining it which i like is that so in the hangover the drunk state right there's an intoxication and if we talk about hangovers from a clinical perspective we're talking about you're, you're sort of dumping neurotransmitters and um, you're dehydrated. And so we look at chemical reasons yeah. for that hangover, right? Yeah. Which makes sense because chemicals are real, right? Right. Uh, but what you're also adding on top of that is saying that these sensations that you're having of uh, those feelings of talking to girls and being easy. So you're normally closed off and this makes you more gregarious. And these other feelings, uh, those highs are not just chemical signals, but they're also sort of these emotional things that exist in an emotional state or, uh, you know, I, I actually, I don't know where they sit, but they, but they are, they, they exist in this sen sensational state. Right. And then the next day, while you're going through that, that, the, that neurotransmitter chemical down, you're also going through this emotional down and we sort of have to deal with that on its own page. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, cool. a, it's a combination. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, with my experience with psychedelics, it was similar, you know, I mean, it just depends on the dose as well, mm -hmm. but there is this sort of like, okay, I just like, you do I, psychedelics. <laughs> You yes. druggy? What the fuck? <laughs> oh shit! Oh, I got you, man. Damn! I how, just said it. That's how investigative yeah, journalism yeah. works. Like, <laughs> I got no shame in, in announcing it. Um, yeah, hopefully, you know the the laws will change. <laughs> but uh, obviously, you can go to places, other uh -huh. countries. Where it's uh, it's allowed, um, yeah. It's just crazy because you you, you have these like sort of epiphanies, you know. Uh -huh. So just imagine having in, like a aha epiphany moment for hours, right? You know, mm -hmm. sometimes like my longest like flow would be when like during creativity. Like I remember mm -hmm. when I wrote a book. Not many mm -hmm. people know I have a book, but I. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember like. I don't remember writing it. I just remember like it being published on Amazon. Are you, you know? sure you wrote? You might have hired a ghostwriter. Yeah, I think it, something like that happened. <laughs> like, or I just became a ghost. But yeah, it's wild. Like the the type of experience that you have, and then you all. It's like kryptonite. Like all of a sudden, you're not even like mm -hmm. uh, Superman anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like so. But the emotions that come with it, uh, psychedelics, you, you start to, uh, as you know, with the ayahuasca, right? Mm -hmm. Like you understand like, okay, there, I'm just doing some like 
uh, internal cleansing of mm-hmm. my psychological state, my past, mm-hmm. the future, the present, like it all comes together. And then you get these insights, but then now you have to do the work. Like right. you come back into mm-hmm. the world after you, you sort of go into these places, which were like tapping, whether it's with Wim Hof and the ice and breathing mm-hmm. Buddha. And like, right. there's all these methods. Some people like jump off of cliffs or jump out of airplanes right. and then like get, they get mm-hmm. there, right? Big waves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or they use electrical gadgets, whatever, right? Um, yeah, so you have this thing that, that hooks up to people's ears and zaps them a lot. You did this to me like four months ago or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, that's wild. <laughs> I know, right? So we're we're going like, to do that later too, There's right? all these different <laughs> pathways you can get to yeah. this place. and But but a lot of these things or uh, methods or like even cults they, they they're missing a lot of that like integration part right. and they didn't have like psychologists back in those times you know mm-hmm. like yeah. everything was just like wizardry and and mm-hmm. uh you know well, it all depends on who you were talking to back then too like you know the the what we forget is that these ancient traditions right are ancient not only because they went they were so far back in time, but now we are so far removed from them that they have been reinterpreted over and over and over again. And this was something really cool that I found in the Enlightenment Trap, that book, where I, I look at how we get tantra in 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 the world today, right? In tantra, uh, Buddhism. You've heard of tantric sex, right? You know, but that's there's, what everybody hears. Right, right, yeah. right. There's a lot more to it than tantric sex, but yeah. there is tantric sex that's totally a part of it too. Um, but it's way deeper than that as well. And so what happened in, in ancient Tibet was they were that, that, that Buddhism had made it to Tibet and there, and, and they, they transformed from a sort of a more animistic religion into Buddhist religion. But to get the books, to literally get a book to Tibet at that time required walking over the Himalayas, right? And then, and walking over the Himalayas is hard. It's cold. There is tigers. There are bandits. You are, it, it is like, it takes you like 10 years uh, to, to go back over, learn the language, and then come back. So it was a real investment to make that happen. The only thing that made it worth it was to come back with a book that people wanted to read, right? <laughs> and, and so they would send these monks over, and, and, and they initially got the sutras, which are the intro, Tibet, the intro Buddhist stuff, the stuff that we normally think about as Buddhism. And then they ran out of sutras to bring back and translate and spend their 10 years on. And, and so they're like, well... Why send more people if we can't get better books? So they started delving into like magical traditions because who doesn't want to get like, oh, here's how you get a superpower. Here's how you get to fuck people. Here's how you do, get to do this stuff. And so they kept on going more and more esoteric because to make the journey worth it, to make your best seller, your, you know, Lhasa Times bestseller, you had to get... To hook people. You had to get a hook. <laughs> yeah. Hook. So, so there, the, what happened in Tibet was it, you get this very sort of out there religion, which, you know, and you can still get spiritual see it lessons. in the art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get there. I mean, there's great stuff in it, but it just gets more, it has got pushed more and more magical. And then it gets so that, more and more perverted. Uh, perverted, I'm not going to go there. Okay. But what but, I'm going to say is it gets more sensational. Sensational, and, okay. And, and then, so that happened, and then, that, then it created a religion that sort of stuck there. Uh, you know, and, and, and they were pulling from Hindu texts, they were pulling from magicians, they were pulling from anyone that they could find to get this sort of tantric teachings. Mm-hmm. Uh, then fast forward to colonial times, 1800s, 1700s in India, you have all these British people coming over, finding the Hindu texts and, and translating and then fucking up the Hindu religion in numerous ways. And then we wanted more and more and more and more. 
so the, 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 what they were finding got weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. As you talk to like, you know, if I want to talk to you about something, oh, let's talk about flow. And then you tell me all your stuff about flow. I'm like, hey, that's really cool. But how can we go deeper? And you're like, oh, I, I don't know. And eventually you're going to end up in sex and magic and levitation. Yeah. Like it's, gonna, it's just going to fucking happen. Right. And, and this yeah. happened with the Brits too. And there was this thing called the Theosophical Society, uh, 1870s, where these people were literally like, after translating all of the texts out there, um, they f- found weirder and weirder texts. They started talking to spirits that weren't there. And like, a- right, a- right. And, then, and then all of this stuff gets packaged into the yoga and the meditation that, we, that we are n- is now popular. Now we've forgotten the Theosophical Society. Now we're in like Ram Das and we're in like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Deepak Chopra. Yeah, and, Wayne Dyer. Yeah, yeah. And, and they all have something cool, right? Because yeah. there is something that's original in that tradition, this yep. ancient tradition, but it's also mediated through all of these lenses of history right. that get us to where we are today. Yeah, that's crazy, man. It's just, uh, you know, thinking about uh, even Nazi Germany, you know, how they were mm-hmm. influenced by all this occult stuff and, you yeah, know, and took it too And they far. love the swastika. Yeah. That's a Hindu yeah, symbol. Like, right? <laughs> nobody knows that either, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. There's just that association with mm-hmm. the that symbol, but uh, it's just wild, like, how down the rabbit hole you can go with these things and, like, mm-hmm. end up, like, either fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like mentally, or you know, deranged, or or dead, you know. Yeah. And then so you, wrote, I remember you wrote that book mm-hmm. about that one guy that basically is a cult leader, yeah, who said mm-hmm. that he was appointed as a, a lama or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, this is the Enlightenment trap. So the, yeah. the so the history that I'm giving you is like all the subtext to the actual crazy story of people getting stabbed and, and crazy sex cults and all that, all that fun stuff that we want, right? But the, the interesting thing is, is that even in these crazy things, there's some heart of purity and interest. And, and sometimes the techniques that work for one person in that group don't, like, really don't work <laughs> for another person in that group. Right. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're, I mean, the fun part of being alive is you get to experiment with shit, Right. And, and, and then what you need to retain is sort of this active tether to reality at some point and be right. like, this is good. What you're using the word integration, which is a great word. It's like, now I've done this crazy shit. Now I'm going to step back for like a week or two and look at the crazy shit I did. And is that good for me? Is that bad for me? You know, no judgment, but let's sort of actually let's judge it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like, you know, the applied uh, proper use of judgment. right? Mm-hmm. And so like you look at like what were the upsides of, for example, flow, what were yeah. the downsides? Let's toss the downsides, keep mm-hmm. the upsides and just keep sort of like improving and evolving, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just funny like you do get this like up level effect where you're like mm-hmm. maturing that mm-hmm. I've noticed as I get older and I get into this yeah, stuff. Yeah, you got gray in your beard now. Last time, actually, <laughs> yeah, last like time we were hanging lightning. out, there was, there, was no, there was no gray in there. And that was like four months ago. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, it's just, um, it's, it's wild to see your own development, but at the yeah. same time, like see where, like let's say people see your change and then like they want to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole trap of like power yeah. and like uh, influence. And then, so you're teaching and next, you know, you have like a bunch of followers. They're like, you yeah. know, and, and you're not like teaching like, Hey, listen, like I'm teaching you don't follow me, follow the teachings, right. you know, learn from it, get better. Mm-hmm. But they're looking at you like you're a rock star, you're right? Perfect. And, yeah. 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 This is always the problem with gurus is that, that if they had something good, if they start presenting themselves as perfect and some don't right? like the Dalai Lama is pretty good 
of being like, I'm really, I'm just a monk, right? I know you think I'm enlightened and I'm this. Yeah, that I came God. out of nowhere and I was the chosen uh-huh. one because yeah. I passed all these tests. Yeah, but at yeah. the end of the day, actually, I'm a normal Human. dude. Yeah. And, and, and he's, you know, he's great at that. Um, and there's lots of great leaders who are out there like, but there's also these leaders who really think that they're perfect and then they're isolated and then they have no peers and then. Yeah, there's no scientific mm-hmm. critique or, you know, somebody like saying, hey, you got a mm-hmm. blind spot over there, mm-hmm. you know. And this is actually why I like, well, so so you never find like, here's this enlightened Hindu guy and here's this enlightened Muslim guy and here's this other enlightened Buddhist guy. They never hang out with each other and be like, yeah, you're right, right? They don't agree. They're always like, nah, he's fucking wrong. Uh, <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and why I like Wim Hof, to go back to, you know, full circle to, to that, that first experience, is you meet Wim and dude's a madman right he's out there he, and and you're like oh I, um if if you get to know him right he does these really cool feats he does you know has great control over himself and there's this like pure amazing part of him but there's another total chaotic like really bad habits little like, boy little boy who's like you're <laughs> fucked up man yeah and, and then and the thing about Wim which is great is he looks at you he's like yeah I'm totally fucked up <laughs> <laughs> he owns it yeah it's awesome he, he owns it and then you're like oh well now I can sort of trust you because yeah. now we know you're fallible yeah. and, and now you now I realize I have to engage my critical senses when I'm talking to you because if I'm not engaging my critical senses then I'm an idiot right it's just so apparent that you're an idiot if you're following exactly what Wim Hof does mm-hmm. um, which makes his teachings really useful because then you can experiment with his teachings and you it, you have to be engaged uh, and 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 because you're you're aware that your teacher is not necessarily always on top of it yeah exactly <laughs> and, and then back to like the ice and like mm-hmm. you know the uh, external yeah, the ice becomes the teacher. The teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So, America, could you jump mm-hmm. in there and like everything mm-hmm. comes up, mm-hmm. right? And then you learn to like breathe into it and, and learn yeah. to like control these feelings and these right. reactions, mm-hmm. both psychological and physiological. And, and, it, and it comes. And the first time I jumped into the ice, like the proper ice water, it was a, 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 like a waterfall by Wim Hof's house. And I jumped in, and he was like, you have to stay here a minute. And I, I made it like 20, 30 seconds tops, and I was out. And I was crying at the end of it because all this shit comes up. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it's this battle with you and the ice, but it's really a battle between yourself and whatever reactions that you've encoded that ice means. Like your own insecurities, your own thoughts about your physical self, your spiritual self, whatever it is, it, it sort of triggers these responses and the beauty is that once you realize from an intellectual level that honestly 30 seconds a minute up to five minutes in this really cold 30 degree water will not kill you. Like physiologically, it ain't going to do it, right? right? So everything that's happening there is emotional. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the beauty of this ice water because you can, then you can, tr- by, by controlling your responses in the ice you're controlling your responses in a myriad of other uh, aspects of your life which is neat because for me um knowing Wim as well and, mm-hmm. and being around him and mm-hmm. seeing all of that and his his uh, craziness and mm-hmm. you know saying that he's not a guru and like uh, some things i've hear of, of movies called not your guru yeah <laughs> but people right. worship it but um the thing is like you can take that that knowing and, and go into other uh, places in the world, um, whether you're like socially, uh, I don't know, like 
hard to communicate with people or you're right. shy or like introverted mm-hmm. and you can now start to like consciously walk into all these uncomfortable situations in your life so there's a yes. transfer from right. like the ice that mm-hmm. you, it's hard to get anywhere else right you know, maybe psychedelics but um you know no, I, think I, even- I think it's it's just a way safer thing to do even though you can get messed up in ice as well i've seen people do that sure yeah but i don't think actually you can even get it through psychedelics because the thing about psychedelics it's a chemical process that goes on into you ingest something Right, it goes into your body, and it's a chemical thing fucking essentially with your brain. I mean, there are some other physiological effects, but it's essentially your neurochemistry that's being messed with. With the ice, what's really interesting is it's initially a somatic experience, which means it's a physical experience. It's coming from your nerves, and then it hits your brain. And you know, so there's this Tibetan tradition, which is called Pumo, which is the uh, – uh, you've, you've, may, you've maybe heard of like monks sitting in like, like on Himalayan peaks and they're they're doused with water and they melt the snow around them with their body heat, right? right. This is yeah. called Tumo. It's ancient and it's well documented that it works, right? We've known since the 50s. We've had we've heart monitored them and brain scanned them and you know, okay, yeah, shit, they take a wet rag and they dry it mm-hmm. in yeah. cold, yeah, totally. And and so to 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 learn Tumo. Uh, it takes about 10 years to master. And the reason it takes it is because it goes from mind to body. So you start by visualize. You, 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 you first become a, a decent meditation practitioner. And then you start um, visualizing certain gods and certain gods do things. And then you imagine yourself as a god. It's this long process to right. really get this. And then essentially what you're doing is that from your brain, by using these visualizations, you're triggering the neurochemical response that then triggers something in your body, right? So that's Tumo, and it works. So it's like inside out. Inside out. Yeah. Wim is outside in. Right. Wim throws you in, the, in this environment, and it's like, well, you better learn, because you're fucked if you don't. <laughs> and, and, then, and he starts laughing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, you learned. Because your body, and, and there is some mental things that you're doing while you're, while you're in the ice, but... But the the environment directly triggers those responses in you, and you which have are like to primal. It. They've been mm-hmm. there since evolution. Like sure, every, yeah. every mammal has yeah. this has this response, and probably some non mammals have these responses mm-hmm. too. And and it just, it just triggers it, and then oh my god, you're triggering this response that you know we live in seventy two degrees all the time. We live in this total you know Climate bath of perfect yeah. environment. Um, now we're feeling a sensation that we may have never felt in our life before. And then you realize it's just sensation. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, then, and then this is why you, instead of taking 10 years to learn it, like Tumo, you learn the Wim Hof method in a week and like, I got it. I get, I get it. I'm talking to the ice. Me and the ice, we're in conversation. Yeah, uh, there, there's this switch that comes on. Mm-hmm. Like you can feel it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe, but it's like a knowing. Yeah, you shouldn't describe. Well, we can try, and yeah. you should read a book called What Doesn't Kill Us, available on Amazon. <laughs> I, mean, you, you, I mean, you can totally describe it, but really it, the language is of sensation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the psych the psychedelic part that's like sort of the inside out because now you're thrown into let's Mm -hmm. say um you're seeing like hell sure like you know in that moment you're you're induced Mm -hmm. into hell and so you have the choice to either freak out or you could just say with a guide or you mm-hmm. just intuitively know like, okay, this shall pass right. and you just breathe through it and you witness everything and you don't take it personally. You know? <laughs> and then yeah. when you come out of the other side, it, it's almost like 
you know, I think the movie like Wizard of Oz like captured it yeah. well because like mm-hmm. Dorothy goes down this like adventure right. and it goes like really haywire and sour at the mm-hmm. end, like towards the end and then she's back in like Kansas. Right. You know, right. and so it was like a great uh mm-hmm. figurative mm-hmm. Uh, analogy or a metaphor yeah. or something. So the way I see it, if people have a good guide and they like, they ex- it's exposure therapy in some ways, you know, like, yeah. but it's mental. Mm-hmm. And then you come back in this world mm-hmm. and you can now start to face your like demons or think that you thought were scary, but you're like, wait a minute, I just went to hell. Right. This is like pales in comparison. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like to, I mean, I, th- I like to think of psychedelics also from this environmental thing, right? It is inside out, but it does create an internal mental environment, right? Yeah. And, and and now we are in this space, and that space may all be in my head, but it still sort of uses those same skills to deal with it. Skills, but yeah. it is a little different than the physiological first, because it really we are going from brain chemistry first. And maybe that hell you are seeing, right? What is that, right? Are you seeing the real reality of yeah, is hell? Yeah, a projection, right? or is that like mm-hmm. just a you know just a thing made up in, in your, your head, or is it really like in this world, but we're only seeing like this dimension right now, like right. sober, but then all of a sudden you're like in this dimension, and now you're opening portals that are here, but we just can't right. see it. Who knows? Like, right? I mean, <laughs> we we can take some stabs at what's going on, right? Yeah. We can we can oh, we can sort of do scans and metabolic testing and and uh you know one th- one way that psychedelics are described um uh is that you know your brain usually processes sensation through a s- pathways that are well known right your sight goes in through certain pathways hits your brain at a certain brain structure first and it goes to another brain structure goes to another brain structure um with psychedelics what seems to happen is that the compartments between those brain structures get more loose and so something that usually processes something first is actually also getting processed by this other part at the same time. So it becomes a sort of very internal experience. And, uh, and so what might happen is your visual field is being processed by the space where you process emotions. And so that, that's why something looks so real. Like you actually sense it. You, you actually sense that as a real thing your brain says no that is real but it really what you're seeing perhaps right um is you happen to think about your mother right and you happen to think about this thing that happened with your mother and now you're seeing your mother in front of you like a real person yes because your your emotional center is in your visual cortex yeah like they just merge <laughs> together right, right? Mm-hmm. so you take like uh let's say you put like orange glasses on lenses mm-hmm. and then you put like a purple one on top of that mm-hmm. and all of a sudden but before it was clear right so uh-huh. now you're like combining lenses mm-hmm. and it's just like it creates this weird looking movie right you know and mm-hmm. it it, it, it it's real in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's real mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is, um, you know, I know uh, a, a friend of mine, he's a, a well-known doctor, and he said that when he was in a psychedelic experience with somebody else and they had the shared the experience, experience, the same experience, then he goes, okay, this is not just happening in my brain, but it's happening to somebody that's right. like not – connected to me in a physical and, and, and they, obvious and way they yes. saw the same exact thing yeah. and so then he started to go okay there's something deeper than just chemistry you know right. and the brain neurons so yeah and so that happened to me recently as well so in the, my next book i'm looking it's called the wedge it's taking the principles of the wim hof method and we're 
you know, because Wim Hof method is essentially breathing in cold and mindset, right? Those are the three components. Um, what happens if we don't use cold? What if we use heat? What if we use sleep, sex, sound, whatever, right? Yeah. And then, and there's some sections on psychedelics. And, and I went down to Peru to do some ayahuasca, uh, which was a, which is interesting enough when it, that whole sentence is very important. I went to Peru to do ayahuasca. So we're talking about a chemical. Well, you do drugs? I do drugs, yeah. But it was legal where I do. I would never yeah, break the law no, in America. Right. Um, so, so actually the being in Peru is a very important part of this because all the sensations and all that new stuff that's going around you because I've never seen Peru before. I'm encoding information in a new way. Add to that a psychedelic. Add to that a shaman who's a guy singing songs and, and it's total darkness. And like now we have these nine or ten novel things going on at once uh and and it was a very powerful very interesting experience because of that uh um i was going somewhere with this and it was really, really brilliant now i've forgotten uh, <laughs> it usually happens like, <laughs> feeling um yeah oh, was, so, here, so here's one of the, the things that is interesting the shared experience uh, the shared experience so, yeah. so so on the first night i did i did 10 days down there um and three ayahuasca uh, ceremonies on the first night i was hanging out there with a photographer and uh we both did ayahuasca we're sitting next to each other and we're both in pitch black and we're looking out at this field of blackness plus shaman singing songs uh and you know i see this beam of light right coming down from the roof and it's probably let's say a foot and a half wide and it go it, it it doesn't reach all the way to the floor it's only like five feet long and it's sitting in the middle of this space and we're both look and, and i'm looking at it and I'm like okay there's a beam of light isn't that interesting okay and that's one of the only visual things that i had happen on this experience the next day i'm talking with a photographer and he's like yeah i saw this beam of light it was in the middle of the room and we were like what because <laughs> <laughs> like what signal we were sitting next to each other so there's are signals that go between people. Like right now, you and I are talking, so that's yeah. a signal, yeah. and it's being coded neurologically. So right. we, we are sending stuff all the time, but we weren't sending that much <laughs> between the two of us. And, and to, to have a, a, a shared hallucination um, makes you wonder, well, what are we seeing? And so Adulis right. Huxley, right? Oh, One yeah. of the first psychic, psychedelic yeah. guys, um, posited that that what's really happening is that we have all this sensory hardware in our, in our body that's, that, that's getting in tons of information, uh, sound, sight, touch, and, and it goes into the, the brain raw. And what the brain's role is, is not to accurately tell you what's going on out there. What the brain's role is to tell you what's useful to you right now in the world that you live so you can pass on your genes and blah, blah, blah. Right. So what his argument was is that what psychedelics do is turn off the filter that we have of all that information coming in, impair the brain so that we don't have that filter, which allows us to be effective, but we actually see the raw data. Mm. Um, and there could be something to that. I mean, honestly, the, the state of psychedelic research right now is getting more and more promising all the time, but it's still in shambles compared yeah. to a lot of other science that's out there. Right. So, um, but it's interesting to think that that most people who get knocked on the head, right, with a hammer, end up fucked up, right? Mm -hmm. But some people who get knocked on the head with a hammer are suddenly really good at math. Right, or, or savant. Right. Yeah, play music, speak multiple mm -hmm. languages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so impairment 
doesn't necessarily always have to mean um, damage, although it usually does. Don't hit yourself on the head with a hammer. Yeah. It's right? a really bad method for this. I know. It's just uh, like the, 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 uh, the chances of mm-hmm. you getting hit in the head and having like now all of a sudden you're a superpower, yeah. like a superhuman, you know? It does happen. I know. It does like, happen. It's so wild. Like, so that like gets into like a uh, destiny chance, like meaning, you know, uh, yeah. synchronicities. Cause right. When you are in these sort of states and you you see like uh, intuition, right? All this stuff starts mm-hmm. to like unfold, and, and and you hear about like cognitive biases and like you know right. all these. Mm-hmm. So you're like putting all this together. I'm at least for me, and I'm like, okay, am I really seeing like the actual, or am I just seeing a projection, or am I seeing like a super version of, mm-hmm. of reality, or you know? So you're seeing something, uh, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It's it's just like trying to like distill like when I'm in flow and have these like insights. Is that like a like? Yo, a, I just noticed we had the same scar. You see this? Now turn your hand over. Oh, boom! Oh, look at that! Crazy man! Yeah, that was that was the the flight out the mushroom window oh, there. I fell off yeah. my bike two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Synchronicity! Yeah, right. So things like that. It's like we're going through reality every day and we have like our past our stories that mm-hmm. we tell ourselves and then there are just moments where we like hit brilliance right and, and then on the back end of that you're like how did i do that i want to replicate that mm-hmm. duplicate that like mm-hmm. as often as possible mm-hmm. and so you know but at the same time like someone around you may have uh seen the changes they get uncomfortable with your change so they start projecting their stuff on you or they're into it and they want to learn so there's just so many things Mm -hmm. going on when we're interacting with other conscious beings right or whether they're, they're, you know, like they're just stuck in a rat race or something. Right. There's like all well, this stuff going on with people. We're all networked in so many different ways. Like here's another crazy brain study. So your brain has two hemispheres, right? And it's connected by the corpus callosum, which is a, which is a neural structure right in the middle. If you cut that, which again, I don't recommend, um, you cut that, the two sides of the brain can't communicate. And one side of this brain controls speech. So when you're talking to someone, you're getting... You're, you're talking to that side of the brain, right? But you can do these tests where the other side of the brain can actually do finger motions and control other things on its side. And if you give one side of the brain, so literally like covering an eyeball and asking it a question, and then cover the other eyeball and ask it a, 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 the same question, you can get different answers from one person because their corpus callosum was cut. Does that mean we're two people? Or does that mean that that what we think of as consciousness is actually about networking in general between conscious things. Remember the amoeba, the macrophage, and all that. You know, now the brain hemispheres are talking. Here's your now your gut is talking. The gut, yeah, and, and then a microbiome. And then I'm talking to you right now, but I'm also talking to the person in the pot who's listening to the podcast. And all of these these interactions make all together the, a big superorganism, like a big like. You know, whatever, whatever I think Scott is, is really sort of a tangential, exists right now in this moment in a, because of this interaction. But this is not the same Scott that married my first wife, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to some degree, that Scott had, was stuck in his time, and he might yeah. recognize this guy, but it, it, it's, it's really about the present context and then how these contexts get mediated between 
all of the infinite factors that honestly are too complex for probably us to understand, which is where what you said intuition is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not always right, right. But it processes at a different place. Yeah. The other thing, like counterintuition, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like a whole nother like field of study where mm -hmm. you know what you think it's is. It's not. It's actually the opposite. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, wow, man, we just yeah, where, <laughs> what are we talking about, man? Uh, it's it's been almost an hour, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, what do we talk about now? Where where do you want to go? Well, or, or do we want to just let our read our, our listeners just relax for a little bit? Like, let's talk about Hawaii. What was it like to grow up in Hawaii? Oh uh, well, I, I actually grew up in San Francisco, but uh, I, I okay. What's the Hawaii like? I've never been there. Really? Yeah, never. Oh been. my goodness! Yeah, that's why I've gone like pretty much every year the last twenty years. So, um, yeah, it's just it's one of those like amazing, heavenly, blissful places. Like yeah. you just you just the moment that you can see the island mm -hmm. after like flying over like five hours of ocean, oh, man. and then you you see this piece of land and it just. The way it's shaped, the color, the green, mm -hmm. like the the combination between that green and like the the Pacific blue, mm -hmm. and then the time of day, the way that the airplane like approaches, depend on which island you show. So when I like first arrived, I saw like Honolulu, uh -huh. so I, like I, it was like basically like L.A. on oh, like, nice. paradise, right? Okay. And I was just like, whoa, that looks kind of wild, like, <laughs> here, like, right? So we like we uh, had a layover just for a few minutes. Everybody got off to go. At Oahu people are going to Maui. Go like I stayed on, and then we took off. And then as we approached Maui, it was like a whole other kind of world because now oh, you're seeing man. like these lush, green, tropical mountains, and then like the like the reddest dirt, oh, you man. know. And then like and then like a rainbow, and, and you know it was just oh, like. Shit. And then different pockets of the ocean where it was like like the most aqua marine blue you've ever seen, and then like a real dark rich blue. It sounds and, like paradise, man. I really have to go. Oh, dude, it's like, you it's, have it's to like, go. Like, <laughs> and then like the thing is, like the moment that they open the hatch, and yeah. like and you smell it, you smell yeah. it, and you like your senses just go like seriously like what the fuck is it this is like yeah. unlike anything you've ever this especially if you grew up in like urban environments yeah the closest is like going to nature in the mountains and the ocean and stuff like uh -huh. that but usually um yeah it, it's just like that whole combination the smells the sight so i used to live in india for years um and uh you know and so traveled back and forth i lived there six years total i speak hindi pretty well right wow. but right now when i'm talking when I, uh, uh, my hindi is probably gonna be really bad like if i was going to talk to you right now my hindi sort of sucks it when it comes back this is crazy I'll, I'll get on a plane i'll go to india and and you know you're, you're in plain air plain air i'm looking outside and, and, and there's india coming behind me okay cool and then the plane lands and they open up the door and that like noxious burning plastic bag, third worldy scent hits me. The smell of and like boom, Hindi's back. <laughs> it's back. Yeah, it, it's like that's what's so weird about why like I travel so much mm -hmm. is because of those. It's almost like you're going to another dimension in some right. weird way. Like with technology, we're like in a metal tube with wings, yeah. like super sound across the ocean. Mm -hmm. And you end up in another world, which took like forever for people to ever like. Before, yeah, right. Yeah. And then you came so from you, you came from San Francisco this morning. I know to Denver, and it took you like four hours. And it's like a mind <laughs> fuck sometimes because like you're you go to these places and you're like, 
am I dreaming right now? Because it does feel like a dream when when I was in India too. Like mm-hmm. it, it's like this rich world that you're not used to the way right. like traffic rolls mm-hmm. and how people are like so packedly tight with each other and, mm-hmm. and it's just like chaos but there's order to it and, right and, and then it's just like am i back in like the 1950s when i'm mm-hmm. like in gandhi's time with these railroad cars yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. you know and then like you go to the bathroom there's like a hole in the, in the bottom of the floor <laughs> and that's like you know that's you, your you poop onto the tracks <laughs> on yeah. the tracks uh-huh. and, and there's people living along the tracks and there's mm-hmm. trash everywhere and mm-hmm. but there's all these like vibrant colors mm-hmm. you know and um the food is amazing and and but then you see like indian people and they like they look had this stern like angry look on mm-hmm. their face but the moment you ask for like help or direction they like light up and they just mm-hmm. shake their head uh-huh. like uh-huh. a bobble bobblehead doll and, <laughs> and it's so cute so um hawaii is is that way like there's aspects that's westernized but when you go deeper in Mm -hmm. you know and you get more to like the traditional hawaiian cultures and um it's just really neat because you there there is that weird like sort of trigger in the brain Mm -hmm. that like now you're like now you're part of that world and you like integrate into that and you start to learn Mm -hmm. their language their customs their Mm -hmm. food and Mm -hmm. and then then you go away and you go back to like the mainland Mm -hmm. and then you go back into urbanization yeah but you bring a little bit of that with you yeah you know like so like the old scott that was married before yeah you Mm -hmm. know you're you've you still had that party, but you've like matured and evolved to where you are now in that present context, right? And yeah, there's something that has existed that's continuous between continuous, the two. yeah. But but you know, you know, what was it like to be? So here's a, here's a thing that we're going to change subjects very briefly here. Um, uh, so like one of the things I, I that happened when I was doing ayahuasca was that you start th- I I started thinking about my. Um, past, right? As it's very common on on psychedelics, uh, and I, I I saw myself as a kid, and the thought came across my mind, right, like a banner ad. Like, what was it like? What was your childhood bedroom like? And and I was like, okay, well, let me think about that, right? And so I thought about it. I, I saw, so there was a window over here, and there was a poster. There was my bed, and the bathroom was across the hall. My sister was across the hall, and like, and like, I just started thinking about those particular. There was a vacuum in that in that closet over there, and like, sort of picture it together. And once I started thinking about it, then boom, then I felt like a kid, right? I actually like sort of saw myself, probably like the image was probably like a picture of myself that I've probably seen more recently, right? But I saw that kid, and I was like, oh. That was me. And then, and then for a brief moment, and for like two or three minutes, I'm like, oh, I am that kid, or I was that kid. And, and it was all these new, they felt sort of like new emotions, but the ones that I also remembered at the same time. When was the last time you did that, right? When was the last time you thought about those experiences and put yourself in that environment? Always that triggers these things. So if I was thinking about, um, uh, you know Scott, who was in a previous marriage, there are things that are very familiar, but there's also things that are very, very different that were influencing you, and that meant different things to you then than yeah. they do now. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, I, I was married before, mm-hmm. and um, when I look back, and it was like, wow, I, I was in some ways a different person than I am now because I've mm-hmm. like learned so much, mm-hmm. and like I'm still friends with my ex-wife, and mm-hmm. we can laugh about a lot of stuff that was like you know hard at the time you know right. and um you know in, in some ways that like 
I know that I've healed because before I used to like replay the same stories. I'm like, why did it fail? Why what did right. I do wrong? Like, mm-hmm. um, I was a bliss junkie. I was seeking enlightenment. Like all these different things were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the same time, like I owned my shit. And what was cool is that she also owned her shit because Good. she she loved to like. Um, her her way of feeling love was like conflict, so she would always like try to like instigate some mm-hmm. sort of like mm-hmm. fight with me, mm-hmm. and then at a certain point, I just no longer like played that game, right? And so she felt like I didn't love her, but it started that pattern started repeating with her her next few relationships after right. and that. She right? saw a pattern. She saw right. a pattern, right? And mm-hmm. So she was able to like basically recognize that and then mm-hmm. grow and mature mm-hmm. and then come back to me and say i'm sorry you know that's nice. like, it yeah. was it was really cool yeah. and so um that's the one cool thing about like having a memory like whether like i had a similar experience mm-hmm. with psychedelics where i would like look back on my past and, and a lot of stuff that i used to like pissed me off like growing up in san francisco mm-hmm. i was a little bit overweight i was hearing i'm hearing impaired um i was kind of bullied i was like really sensitive yeah and so um but that little city i needed to get out i needed to explore right. so that's when i started mm-hmm. traveling quite a bit mm-hmm. and um but every time i came back to S- san francisco there was always those associations right that were still like baggage on me and then it wasn't until recently when i had that magic flow bus and i took everybody on a tour which basically was my childhood yeah and uh-huh. and like healed all those memories and mm-hmm. realized that like everybody's doing their best including like the people that were right. like bullying me mm-hmm. like they didn't know any better mm-hmm. and i i was like sort of like like they were the perpetrator i was the victim we needed each other right right and so right. i was able to see it for what it is because i i don't know maybe i, I like saw it from more of a just right. objective point of view mm-hmm. and then now i can have those memories but there's no like polarized like yeah like emotional tags to it right. where it's creating that response in the mm-hmm. system and that's what's really interesting to me what we're all like into with like the ice and exposing mm-hmm. ourselves to sort of um perceived danger or even actual danger right. and like mm-hmm. how how do we respond in those moments and mm-hmm. and we're never taught that in school we're just kind of like dumped into the world right and my thing now is like how how can we use these tools yeah. to help people like face so that they could have like the life that they dreamed of because i've been really fortunate but a lot of times because like i can't look at myself in the mirror and mm-hmm. like feel like i i failed or i missed i have to like if i do fail or miss something i need to go back to it and like mm-hmm. and 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 master it like figure out the skill to to mm. get to that same situation mm. and not have the old response right it's like more empowered where i wasn't a victim anymore you know yeah it, it's you know we uh, there's a couple things that, that that you said that that really sparked me um one is way um, sensation initially enters our body. So I was hanging out with some. I hang out with a lot of neuroscientists, right? Um, they're smarter than me, but I, I try to translate them into language that is understandable. So when you first encounter something, let's just talk about ice now, because people sort of have this conceptual feeling about what it's like. So it, at first, your body has these nerves in it, and you go into an, an experience uh, like the ice, and those nerves send a signal, and it goes initially into your paralympic system, so bottom of the brainstem. And it goes in as volume. It doesn't have anything else. It doesn't have ice. 
It doesn't have pain. It doesn't have anything. It's just volume of this sensation. And then you, it moves a little bit further up in the brainstem to the limbic system where it, where it, it bonds and the emotion that you're feeling at that moment with that volume control. And then it bonds and it creates what a neurologist would call a symbol. And that symbol is then how it encodes ice from then on. It becomes a sort of metaphor that your brain works on. So the emotion was a separate, and then the, the volume button was separate. It combined it into this shortcut. And the next time you experience that experience, it doesn't go to the volume control again in the paralympic. It goes to the symbol system. So, you, you, so, so you're always referring to that thing that you've already sort of made instead of like seeing the raw data. Uh, which is can be very empowering. This is also why you get PTSD. You have that uh, the you know the traumatic event that occurred, uh, uh, whatever it is, right? You could be a rape, it could be a soldier in a war zone, it could be a, a attempted murder, whatever. You know, you pick your poison here, shark attack, right? Then that sensations that you're feeling, you're feeling a myriad of sensations. Your heartbeat, you're feeling the air around you, whatever. And there's tons of sensation that it comes in as a very high volume. <laughs> Right, which means that everything that you're feeling right now could be a potential trigger later, and then that triggers your PTSD. Now, if you're able to re-encode that symbol in some way, and psychedelics are a great way to do this, right? Because you go back to that event and then you see it from several different perspectives. You know, the shark's perspective and your perspective and the yeah. water's perspective. You know, whatever it is you're seeing, right, right. Right? and that re-encodes it in a way. I mean, you still need to do therapeutic work. You still need. It's not. I'm not saying this is like super easy, but, but that re-encoding is something that then you can use to sort of change your body. And for me, one thing that was really amazing with this re-encoding um, was again with ice water. And I was running this um, obstacle course race in, uh, in England. This was in, one of the chapters in What Doesn't Kill Us. Um, and, I, uh, and it's the coldest obstacle course race in the world, supposedly. Um, people run it in wetsuits. You know, so they're covered in neoprene and they're, and they're running. It's like a 10-mile course or 12-mile course or something. And it's the normal things. You're jumping over obstacles. You're crawling under things. You're getting wet. You're you know, going up and down hills, all that, all that stuff, which is great. Um, I showed up on the, the, the starting line in like um, a bathing suit and shoes. Uh, I wish I'd had a Speedo, but I couldn't find one. I wanted an American flag Speedo. It happened in the UK. Yeah. Couldn't find one in time. Um, so I'm here on the, on the starting line, you know, sort of freezing, uh, and, and other people are in their wetsuits, sort of getting ready. And then we start, and I, I went from miserable to being like, hey, this is fun. I am going to be jumping over things and crawling under things and getting muddy and that it sort of reinvokes this sort of childhood emotional experience of fun and then i said to myself very specifically that sensation on your skin is the sensation of fun and holy shit that worked that turned into heat i was like warm the whole time these other people are shivering in their fucking wetsuits yes and it's because i'm like this isn't my emotional trauma experience. You know, this isn't, this isn't ice and, and horror. This is me having a really good time. And that worked in, in this sort of metabolic change. Yeah, uh, because I wild. reinterpret it. I remember reading that section mm -hmm. in the book, and you had like a smile like mm -hmm. the whole way through. And they were like, "We've never seen anybody <laughs> in the history of this event right. smile the whole time." <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it's like this this really cool trick. And I think that, um, and I'm not going to say you can smile away your PTSD, right? But to some degree, there's there's an element of that reencoding which is very important to think about the neurology and to think about, oh, look, this 
you know, with PTSD, every sensation, it was like listening to your heartbeat, which is omnipresent. It's because it, it, your heartbeat probably went up, booming in your ears. It was, it was the sensation of the skin or the shark tooth or whatever it was. And every time you have anything like that, it triggers something because that volume button was so high. But if you can re-trigger some of those things and rebond them in various ways, now you're on the road to recovery because not everything's going to trigger that response. Yeah. Well, I mean, a literature call it reframing, right? Mm-hmm. So like you can expose yourself to that and then mm-hmm. it doesn't have that same trigger. Right. Yeah. And um, so then you have like these things that sort of just like happen to you mm-hmm. and then then you can like start to like actively like dive into certain events mm-hmm. and learn to like uh, and that's where Wim Hof thing was amazing for me right. too because mm-hmm. like it's like oh okay this is this is not like ice or cold this is a sensation now right you know mm-hmm. like I, I could feel it as neutral and then um then i could reframe it as like pleasure right you know mm-hmm. and then like i remember when i was learning like boxing from this like boxing pro he was like a showtime hbo world champion mm-hmm. or whatever and and we would we would get into these like burnouts and and he would just say keep smiling keep smiling oh, keep wow. smiling and, and i was just like oh my god this is like i'm burning out my mm-hmm. arms are like mm-hmm. turning in noodles keep smiling keep oh, smiling and, you know and my my, my heart's pounding in my throat and i'm mm-hmm. like you know i'm about to like pass out and he's like keep smiling and it was amazing like lesson man like you literally we had that capacity and like these panic modes to like reframe it and gain control of ourselves right there's still a physical limit right yeah absolutely like like, you know you're still boxing you know eventually you're smiling croak over (laughs) it's not like this this, like burst past every conceivable thing but it's certainly like um you know your own physical limits are different than your emotional limits and getting those in sync you know, is really one one of the goals that we can have in life. I mean, you can have many goals in life. Your goal in life could be, I want to sit at a desk in a climate-controlled office in front of under fluorescent lights my whole life and be perfectly adapted. Yeah, that. code. And, and you can do that, man. <laughs> yeah, and, totally. I mean, we've gotten really like good at best. that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Some people, yeah, like get your, you know, Amazon fresh, like uh-huh. delivered and yeah. pizza and, yeah. yeah and, you know, and, VR hooked up. And that's its own, like, like that. that's its own little ninja, right? Yeah. We have we have that yeah. sort of like like widget ninja that we totally become. or like a soldier <laughs> uh-huh. or somebody uh-huh. like they choose these like occupations paths. these paths mm-hmm. yeah and like we, that's what they want to do like if somebody wants to fight and get their head kicked in you know they fully like love it right, right? Well, I mean the- obviously there's there's all these upsides and downsides to but your point is that to sync up the mental and right. the physical. Because are there really physical limits? Like we meet someone like Wim Hof now, like we're starting able to sure. be able to do these things. These people are doing like ultra, ultra, ultra marathons now. And it's like, like. If you just keep on adding ultras, it just gets more and more badass. <laughs> like if you just say it over and over again, you're like, oh man, he did seven ultras. <laughs> 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 oh man, that was that was so good, man. Yeah, totally. We'll be good. Uh, yeah, we're at a minute, an uh, hour and ten. Oh shit, you guys by. are getting bored. They're, yeah, they're getting, yeah. Our listeners are getting bored. Uh, uh, how are you, man? You want you want to keep going? Or I think I think that they're not going to want to listen to it anymore. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's that was pretty packed, man. That was pretty fun. So I think what that they need to do. 
And I'm gonna I'm gonna plug my book. I'm gonna say download the audiobook for What Doesn't Kill Us because obviously you've been able to listen to us for an hour, so you can last for nine. Uh, if you <laughs> if you want this to continue, the other yeah, and you know there's all the Facebooks and the Instagrams and yeah yeah whatever. Yeah, you can Scott find Carney. It. Yeah, Scott yeah. Carney is my name. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that crap is out there. Uh, cool awesome man yeah thanks for like coming on it was really fun i can't wait to do it again i can't yeah. wait to you know yeah that that next book coming out i know, know still working on it uh <laughs> it'll be out in like a year or two but it's gonna be badass so don't worry yeah it's, it's worth sort of like part two of what doesn't kill us huh in a way yeah it i mean it's a continuation I, it's a continuation of yeah. my life's journey which started the doing organ trafficking stuff and there's sort of a through line between everything i do uh but yeah, it's gonna be badass. People who liked What Doesn't Kill Us will also like this book. Man, so. you had quite a life, dude. Like, yeah, it's yeah, been fun. Yeah, there's so much we can tie <laughs> into. But yeah, well, thanks everybody for listening, yeah. and uh, yeah, check out Scott Carney uh, and get that book, What Doesn't Kill Us. Yeah, man. All right, good luck. And All we'll, right, we'll do something again soon. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Wow, that was a fun time with Scott Carney. He's super honored to be able to have conversations with Tam at its home in Denver, Colorado. And uh, yes, certainly had a great time and certainly learned a lot about, you know, um, our potential as human beings to adapt to extreme environments and how we can translate that to becoming better human beings in our lives. So yeah, definitely check out Scott Carney, um, get his book, What Doesn't Kill Us, and look forward to the uh, follow-up, The Wedge. Um, also, special thank yous to Fat Bomb Nut Butters, uh, the sponsors of Hangry and Horny. Um, just love Ross and Care and what they're doing and absolutely love their product. And uh, yeah, go to their site, dropafbomb.com. And with the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, get 20% off of your first order. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hangry and Horny. And uh, look forward to sharing more in the future. Peace.